Hello, everyone, and welcome to week three of the Moot Points podcast. Uh, I'm Adam, and this is... Uh, and I'm Jack. And don't pay attention to a word we have to say, as the title suggests. So this week, we're focusing on a wide plethora of things, including possible governmental preparation for a general election, the country's recent dip in GDP, and our friends across the pond and what they think of our new prime minister. So, the happening of this week is I have decided is the unilaterally pre- decided may I oh add. yes the authority <laughs> he's taken charge <laughs> I've gone mad, I've gone mad um, but this week I think we should discuss governmental prep for a general election first and foremost yes yes absolutely um, been a strange John- week isn't it it has Johnson's refused to rule out a general election in November um, but government but the government are already prepping for one before Brexit before October um, just in case there's a snap election. Um, and a time source has said that the CCHQ is on a war footing and they're going out to market, whatever that means. Um, very conservative phrase, and going out to market. <laughs> yeah. Um, but James Cleverley and Ben Elliott, the Conservative co chairs, have stopped the bleeding of staff from CCHQ's governmental departments. So staff are kept in the event of a, of a snap election. Um, so they keep the best people, um, basically. Um, they're also tooling up, apparently, as sources said, by recruiting new officials, pollsters and data scientists. Very Cummings territory there. Um, he loves a bit of um, data. Um, That's the world also, we live in, isn't it? <laughs> yep. Uh, the Times has also reports of a two-pronged plan from Cummings, backroom number 10 team. And first, the Brexit party needs to become relevant. And by doing that, to do that, the Tories are adopting a similarly hardcore stance to the European question. And that would mean that the Liberal Democrats would be on the other end of the spectrum as the Remain Party. And they will theoretically take votes from the Labour Party. Um, because some of the Labour Party voters might be more European-minded. Um, and then Cummings is basically making us for a loss of seats in Remain areas by sacrificing more Liberal-minded Tory voters for votes from the Brexit and Labour heartlands. So basically a shift in loyalties. They're going to work out there. Um, and he states, officially states, reportedly, sorry, states that the reports of a no deal being stopped by Grieve and the rest were laughable. And points made in an article from Lewis Goodall recently suggest that this option isn't itself actually that laughable. Because he suggests that the anti-no dealers and remainers simply don't have the heart, the audacity and passion held by Brexiteers and no dealers. Um, and I agree, because it's inevitable at the end of the day that chauvinism and blind belief in a cause possesses more chutzpah than those advocating and dooming logic, statistics and facts. Do you agree with that, Jack? I mean, it's it's kind of like we've gone back to the referendum all over again, isn't it? I, I got the feeling when, you know, when, when the BBC held its like it's um, it's prime time debate between the three remain candidate people and the three leave people. You, you got the feeling that those who were advocating leave and like this idea of something new and something different just had an air about them that was so much more persuasive. And it was I, more I've exciting. Always, right. I, I've always had the feeling that to argue for the same or to argue for status or the status quo is, is just inevitably harder, isn't it? Yeah. So it provoke as much passion. And as right. Much it's like, why, why would you vote to remain for things to stay the same? And if your life isn't great as it is, why would you vote for more of the same? If somebody is dangling in front of you um, a carrot which says vote this way and life will be even better for you. 350 million 
per week more for the NHS and so on and so forth. You're going to go for it, aren't you? Right, exactly. It doesn't exactly. make you like unintelligent or a bad person. It makes you logical in a way. It's the danger of spin, isn't it? It is. Because Vote Leave and the Leave EU campaign pretty much had... They could realistically have said anything on the basis that it might happen if we leave or it could happen or like if we believe hard enough then you know britain will i don't know britain will become britain will have a greater gdp than the united states you know <laughs> <laughs> this is i mean obviously like some of those might not be true but the point is that the unknown leave is a lot more open than the known isn't it so yeah, a lot more open to interpretation and people's hopes isn't it so it's you like, can mould that, can't you? What you were saying about the United States GDP, um, Javid recently has said that we're still on course, apparently, to be growing more than Germany and Japan, and then at the same rate as France, even though our economy is shrinking. And in the Funny. same interview, he said that we're growing. Like, no facts anymore. <laughs> no chance, though. We're, we're shrinking at the moment. Yeah. Um, or we could be growing right now. You never know until the next figures come out. Um, but it is very worrying having a shrink in the economy for the first time since 2012. Um, and so that may make people more sceptical about no-deal Brexit. But myself, I think that these fears will just wear off. Oh, yeah. People will just embrace it over and over again. The next um, round of belief is all we need. Just yeah, step exactly. it up a little bit. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yes, that is the government's preparations for a potential general snap general election um and cummings is reportedly very confident that um no deal won't get blocked in the commons um and lewis goodall um has provided some very good um foundations for that opinion um so jack have you got anything else to add to that should we just clarify who dominic cummings is because I I wasn't sure who he is until I actually went out of my way to Google him the other day because I've heard this name a lot and I knew he's not an MP like that much I knew. Oh yes, but actually not. he's a very shady figure, isn't he? Like what what actually is his job role? <laughs> he's Boris's chief advisor, I think, isn't he? This is um, the thing. What does that so, mean? <laughs> so he's basically Alice the the Alistair Campbell to Tony Blair, I think. So chief spin doctor. It's a worry, isn't it, that um, one person, like, if you're of a Remain stance, as you've probably figured out I am by now, it's a worry that somebody could have such sway as just one person. Because a lot of what Dominic Cummings is saying seems to either be at least paid attention to by Boris Johnson, but is also happening. (laughs) His role is quite blurred, isn't it? And he is very Machiavellian, pulling the strings in the background. Um... And so he has, I think Johnson wants that in a way. He wants our own sort of intimidating member of number 10. Right. Because um, I can't remember exactly his name, but the European Union used to have, I think still has, but he's going to step down soon, I think. He's kind of forced, he's been forced out um, by van der Leyen, the new EU commissioner, incoming commissioner. Um, mm-hmm. But they had a man who was advisor to Jean-Claude Juncker, mm-hmm. and he was known as the monster. Um, so I think that Boris wants... Um, our own monster. Right. We want, we want people who are intimidating in number ten. Well, Boris wants people who are in- intimidating in number ten. Um, Pretty because... Patel wants criminals to feel terror. <laughs> yeah, it's, it seems that the, this new government is more hardline in every sense of the word. Uh, oh yeah, May has been seen as this soft touch, really, um, and her backroom staff 
Nick Timoth- Nick Timothy and whatever. Um, Doesn't it so, feel like Theresa May's leadership was like a year ago? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It feels think, like an absolute like age away <laughs> since the Theresa May was in power. Yeah, I think the recess might have something to do with that. Um, how Boris Johnson came in and then immediately everyone went on holiday. Um, yeah, but that's another thing actually. Apparently, um, number ten are calling staff back from their summer holidays early. Yeah, they cancelled summer holiday, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. So there's definitely some behind the scenes prep going on as much mixed as messages is what yet. I'm seeing <laughs> um, so it's whether that's um, whether that's in the event of a snap general election that like as if they don't want it and they're pre- preparing or they are actually actively feeling a bit confident and might be pursuing one in the future who knows we shall wait and see indeed um, but next should we go on to the new section of the, of the podcast you know what I think we should do can, can, we, can we discuss Labour a little bit in terms of a general election? Yes, go on, yeah. Because I personally think that the Tories might be able to call Jeremy Corbyn's bluff on this. Corbyn has spent the last few weeks, if not months, arguing that Labour are ready for a general election, Labour should call a general election, that they're going to table, I think was the most recent thing, a table of motion of no confidence, quote, when they think they can win. Mm. Are, are Labour really ready for a general election? Do, do Labour need a general election during Brexit? I think Corbyn, much like Brexit, is very polarising. I think he's like Marmite. I think you either love him or you hate him. Um, so I think as long as Corbyn is leader of the Labour Party, Labour winning an election will always be sort of uncertain. Mm-hmm. Um, I think to win a British general election in the past. I'm not sure about the next general election, but you need to be as central as possible, if you get what I mean. So to appeal to a broad range of voters that you need for a majority, you need to appeal to some of the people on the left, some people on the right. Um, and that is why Johnson is at the same time displaying himself as this um, one nation conservative, while on the other hand um, hardline Brexiteer. He's appealing right. to both bases. And I think Corbyn, he still thinks that society is divided along class lines mm-hmm. and wealth lines. Yeah. But in reality, especially right now, it is cultural, age, intellectual lines and geographical lines. So you've got people in the North and Midlands um, are very different political persuasions in regards to Brexit than people in Scotland, for example, Definitely. or Northern Ireland. Yeah, um, absolutely. So he is still playing the noughties political game in regards to wealth and yeah. class um, and he's appealing to people who have been hit by austerity for instance um, so he being ambiguous on Brexit his message won't appeal to the new divides in Britain at the moment and his voters combined with the anti-semitism crisis at the moment voters might be put off by that and the passion um, for the Labour Party won't be there this time round maybe right. that's just my opinion no but, um, do you agree with that? The, the reason I say this is because I was looking, you know, if I if I look down a list of major parties in the UK who might stand at a general election, say tomorrow, all of them, I think you could name their stance on Brexit, which like it or not, is going to define the next election if it's not done before then. Yeah. Labour's is the only one I don't think you can clearly say where they sit on the remain, divide, uh, remain leave spectrum because 
like we said in the first podcast, I, st- I still don't know what Labour's position on Brexit is. Jeremy mm-hmm. Corbyn spent, what, 30 years as a backbencher, as a Eurosceptic, and now he's in charge saying that there's the, the Labour Party going to commit to a people's vote. I, I don't know what to believe, and I imagine that a lot of Labour voters don't know what to believe. And so I fear that, like you suggested, um, like you, like how you suggested that the Conservatives are going to view the Liberal Democrats, the Liberal Democrats are going to become that party that starts to take votes from the Labour Party. And, it and the could, Conservatives. And the Conservatives too. And you might even see some Tory to Conservative, uh, sorry, some um, Labour to Tory votes if, if things get really bad, because Labour just haven't clarified their position. They might and I, their noses and vote for Tories because of their Brexit stance, yeah. Right. Uh, and I think if Labour had clarified their position, I, I don't think they needed to do it at the time of the referendum because it wasn't a Labour problem. You know, the Tories called the, the yeah, referendum. It was in their manifesto, yeah. Right. It, it was a Tory problem. They, they said that they needed this referendum. It was held by the Tories. It was fundamentally a Tory problem. And to an extent, it still is a Tory problem to solve because they're still in power. But a, a, an opposition can only be effective if you know how they're opposing something Mm. and i don't and i'd be interested to see what labor party members think because i fear for their party that most of them don't know what their party stands for either and that that's never a good thing if you you can't nail down one of your key elements of your own party then that's a concern and and it was seen wasn't it labor lost what i think four to six thousand members was was banded about the news recently that oh, they've really? just published some new stats and that they'd lost nearly 50,000 members. They're still the biggest party in terms of membership in the UK. Yeah, but a long way. Yeah. In Europe. Yeah. Right. But clearly there's some sort of leak going on here in terms of the members are leaving. And I wonder how much that has to do with an unclear position on Brexit. I think in regards to positions on Brexit, it depends on whether the election happens before October mm. the 31st or afterwards. Right. If yeah. it happens afterwards, then Brexit will still be quite an influential thing. But it will more be it will be more to do with parties' attitudes towards the European question in general. Precisely. Because we'll be moving on to a new phase of negotiations. But if there's no deal, then we'll still be hung up on the Irish backstop, citizens' rights, the thirty nine billion. Um that's why no deal you could argue isn't a real thing, because we'd still be talking about the same things. It would just oh, yeah. be after quite a large amount of disruption. Yeah. Um, but I think people will be looking at parties' stances towards um, European negotiations as a whole. So it'll be how hardline we're going to be, um, how close our relationship is going to be with Europe in regards to institutions, um, economic rules and things like that. So I think the Tories will, again, play a hard Brexit game, as in to say, we're not going to enter any um, institutions, we're not going to go into customs union or single market or anything like that. We want a hard Brexit. Um, and then Liberal Democrats, after Brexit has happened, maybe they'll still advocate to stop Brexit. But I think they will very much be looking at as close a relationship to Europe as possible. So yeah. it will shift a little bit, but the divisions and the spectrum will still be there. Um, so it will still be a very interesting election if it does happen after Brexit. But it will be a very interesting one if it happens before. I mean, and credit to the Lib Dems as well. They They have picked up on... Labour, for want of a better word, weakness in terms of not having a clear Brexit position. If it was, it is a weakness in today's political environment, though, isn't it? Yeah, uncertainty is is what we live in, and the last thing that Labour Party members and Labour voters need is more of it from their own damn party. But, (laughs) but 
the, the Lib Dems have clearly seen that, you know, if Labour aren't going to be the party of Remain, then we are. And it's working. Uh, and to a certain extent, I wonder if Labour Party officials are sat there going, that could have been us gaining all those MPs. You know, that, mm-hmm. that could have been that could have been us doing really well in the EU elections because we could have been the party of Remain. Yeah, there's some still lots of MPs on the Labour Party that are Brexiteers. Who of, are course, Brexiteers of course, of course. Um, so to to advocate a proper hardline Remainer stance like the Lib Dems, um, who have less, if any, MPs that are sceptical of the EU, um, you'd have to shed a lot of MPs and maybe a lot of members and maybe a lot of voters. Um, right. If Labour wants to go all the way to Remain, it might be um, a stance more profitable than their current one. Who knows? And yeah, I, I I get what you're saying. It's a fine balance, isn't it, between yeah, you know, remaining as a as a party in general <laughs> and taking a position. But I feel like some clarity, kind of biting the bullet, kind of situation. Yeah, you know, take those people who are going to leave because where are they going to go? Probably the Tories or the Brexit Party. Mm-hmm. Versus taking the momentum from the Liberal Democrats in terms of being the Remain party. Is it worth it in the short term? You know, is, is that little bit of pain of losing those members or gaining those Lib Dem members even? Just imagine if Labour bite the bullet and go all the way to Remain and you've got two Remain parties. Imagine if there was sort of like a Labour Lib Dem fuse. Yeah. And you have the Liberal Labour Party or the Labour Democrats. <laughs> The that Labour be, Democrats, I like it. I don't <laughs> think that will happen, but I'm just imagining it. That So their colour would be darker orange, and they'd be called yeah. like Labour Liberals or something, Liberal Labour or something like that. But all sorts uh, of interesting coalition ideas start to pop up, don't they? If Labour were yeah. to pick a position, you could almost see, in terms of making up actual like governing numbers, like a Labour Lib Dem SNP triumvirate, in a mm. weird way. And I'm not sure that would yeah. be popular or that it would get enough votes because they all in the press say we're not going to go into coalition with anyone. Joe Swinson's ruled it out. The SNP, interestingly, said they might do it because John McDonnell said that he wouldn't stop or that the Labour Party wouldn't stop a second uh, Scottish referendum. Yeah. But I don't know. I can't see that happening personally. That I said no. so different to other parties in the House of Commons. But it's like you say... It's a possibility, and anything's possible in today's political climate. It's just finding um, them numbers, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, and it's and we shall wait and see in the general election whether Labour go all the way or stay and stick with their current position. Because as I've said before in different podcasts, um, Le- <laughs> Corbyn has somehow taken Labour as close as possible to a full-blown Remain party, <laughs> right? Without <laughs> actually being one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so, they are um, as close as it gets without saying we are the party of Remain, <laughs> which is still an art in the itself. Yeah, it <laughs> maybe he's like holding out until all of this is blown over. He's gone to the Winchester, and nice, right? Pie. He's just having a pint, and then yeah. he's gonna—he's thinking that he's gonna jump into Ten Downing Street out of nowhere. I don't think that's gonna happen. But if I were I think... Jeremy Corbyn, I'd be having more than one pint. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Right, um, shall we move on to the new section? Would you like me to introduce? Yes, it's your oh, section. Lovely, so kind. Okay, so this new section is called Across the Pond. Uh, while we might, uh, while we may primarily be concerned with the goings-on of government in the United Kingdom, our special relationship with the United States will always have profound impacts on what's going on here. So I decided unilaterally, as Adam decided unilaterally, on what we were doing this week. 
I decided that we'd have a section dedicated to all things American, uh, allowing our listeners to be kept up to date with the biggest stories in two countries in just one podcast. And I don't know about you, Adam, but I think that's value for money. That is money. Uh, and even though this podcast is free, it's free and it always even, will be. Even, all right, Facebook, even more value from your time spent listening to us. Uh, so I don't know. I, I think we'll see how it goes, to be honest. Um, I think there's plenty to talk about. So I think it'll be good. There's always plenty to talk about over there, isn't there? There is. Over Unfortunately, there. We're, we're opening with a sad week, really, aren't we, Adam? What's been going on? Definitely. Um, this week we've had two shootings one in Ohio and one in El Paso. Um, and there was one fairly recently before that, wasn't there? I can't remember where that one was. Um, but it's been another occasion where we've all stopped and wondered what is going on. Um, out of many, I think there's been 200 and how many? 298 this year. Is that right? There has certainly been more mass shootings than there have been days of the year so far. Yeah. And that is barbaric in itself, isn't it? Quite something um, to say, isn't it? I think last year, I think I saw something last year that said more people had been killed on home soil in domestic mass shootings than abroad serving for the armed forces. It's just nuts, isn't it? It's just absolutely insane. Um, But we were watching the news as a family earlier on this week, and my mum said to me, why don't they just say, that's it, no more guns? And I had to think before replying, and I ended up saying something like, it's too deeply ingrained to their national psyche, it's in the constitution. And then I went back on myself and said, but you can change the constitution, it's been changed before. Mm -hmm. And then added, some people just say in an American accent, it's not the gun that kills people, it's the person behind it. Oh, um, that's a very deep sound. That's spot on, that is. That, looking, that is perfect. <laughs> but looking back on it now, I should have added the small fact that the NRA is an extremely popular, rich and influential lobbying organisation. And one of their biggest advocates and supporters is currently in the Oval Office. That has something to do with it. Right. Um, yeah, the National the Rifle Association is one of the biggest lobbying groups in all of the US. Um, yeah. It always has been because it's such a polarizing issue. It's it's up there with things like abortion, which mm-hmm. we don't consider here really to be that polarizing an issue anyway. But certain things just are in America. And, you know, like you say with the Constitution, the fact that it, this is written down in American law, you can clearly see where American law says people can own guns. Mm. And it's very hard to argue that, you know, to take people's guns away. People can easily just go, Constitution says so, so I'm keeping my guns. I think, I think it's different because over here we don't have a written constitution, of course. Um, right. We have um, the cabinet rule book, I think it's called, where that's the closest thing in our, in our, to our constitution. Um, so our rules and national rules, especially, are much more malleable and much more open to interpretation. But the entire American governmental system is based on a select few documents yeah. and it's written in black and white. So it's not as disputable um, from the 1780s and 90s, may I add? Yes. Yeah. Where well, you took about a minute to reload the musket. Um, Indeed. But um, so in that case, in that sense, our laws are a lot more fluid here. Would you say? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, we still have polarising issues, like abortion is still quite polarising, obviously, um, but it's a lot, it's it's definitely polarising in America because American society as a whole, would you say, is more still more Christianized than over here? And it's very, very here, much so, yeah. Over yeah. here it's more secular. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And over in America, 
politics as a whole is further, a little bit further to the, maybe not so now, but traditionally it is more over to the right than British. So Absolutely. the Democrats are basically the American Conservative Party and the Republicans are a lot more Conservative Conservative Party. Um, yeah. So especially with Corbyn in opposition and Bernie Sanders not managing to get close to, well, it was close actually, um, but Bernie Sanders not making it as Democratic nominee last year, you could have a sense that before Trump came to power, before Brexit, British politics was typically more left-wing um, yeah. than American. Um, and obviously that plays into the um, gun laws because obviously the more right-wing you are, the more of a gun advocate you are going to be. That's right. That's the general rule. There may be some exceptions. Um, but especially with the NRNA, it's a very conservative association. Yeah. Um, and so it plays into the all-round American psyche of yeah. freedom to have your own bare own arms. Um, but you could say that law is outdated. Well, to put it into some context, this the, the Second Amendment, which is the one that says Americans have the right to bear arms, was written at a time when the United States didn't have its own army because it had just become a country having been was, yeah. freed from Militia's the British Empire. Really, right, so... The point of the Second Amendment is that people can bear arms as as part of a well-regulated militia are the words of the, the amendment, which basically means that people can, if, if the United States were to be invaded again, the government at the time would have called militias, which is groups of the public, essentially, to, to raise their own guns, in a sense, and fight off an invasion because the United States didn't have an army. Well, of course, now the United States has a very well-regulated militia and it's called the United States Army and the yeah. Air Force and the Navy and the Marines. Uh, very well-funded, very well-regulated. Right. So there is definitely an argument to say that the Constitution is outdated in that sense. Mm-hmm. But changing the Constitution is about the hardest thing anybody could do in America because it, it wasn't designed to be easily changed. So with such an issue like that, I can't see that being changed for a very it's, long time. It's very ever. much about personal freedom now, isn't it? As, it, is, as, it is. As opposed to militia and national security. Um, and that plays into the left or right spectrum because the left, usually the general rule is that they seek to advocate um, state intervention more than those on the right. Um, yes. And to ban guns or at least control them or represent state intervention and right. so you'd have to be more left-wing, usually, to advocate that. But of course you have people on the right advocating more gun control. So, for example, um, you could say Barack Obama um, was more left-wing than Trump, but he was still not Bernie Sanders left-wing, but he was still no. advocating gun control, more gun control. Yeah. Um, so it's that old debate. It's, it's personal freedom versus intervention, state intervention of the state. And it's this whole nanny state thing. It's the same thing. Um, people are saying that people should be trusted to look after themselves and trust themselves to the firearm, protect themselves with personal freedom and liberty without intervention from the state. But then there's other people saying that, well, the state knows best and it would protect, it should step in to protect people. So there's a balance. It's a very hard balance, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Just the way you've described it, which I think was pretty spot on, by the way, that it's such a hard thing to balance because there is no right answer in a sense. There's no middle ground where it says the, the people who advocate total freedom are happy and the people who advocate you know, gun control are happy because there's just they are fundamentally incompatible. Yeah. So 
that's why we're talking about gun control and not banning guns, because I think it's pretty much universally accepted that you're never going to ban every single gun in the United States. Mm-hmm. And a lot of a lot of news outlets that are maybe in favor of gun control, that the first one springs to mind, obviously, is CNN, run these stories pretty much every day being like, New Zealand managed to ban guns in just like a few weeks after their mass shooting. Why can't the United States? Mm. Well, that kind of misses the point because you, you're never going to ban guns. It's legal to own a gun in the UK yeah. if, if you have the right license and it's quite, you know, yeah, the, it's right, quite the right background you have, Yeah, Yeah, it's quite easy. You just have to need a license and a background check. But, so, but people aren't, don't feel the need to have firearms here unless they're sort of farmers, farmers' mums. Um, but <laughs> your average guy on the street... <laughs> Doesn't sound like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you get what film that's from you're a legend um but um yeah because less people have guns here well i'd argue anyway but because less people have guns here and being shot is less of a danger than um me as a person personally don't feel the need to have a firearm right and if i did have a firearm i'd feel very dangerous and <laughs> I'd feel quite more unsafe by the firearm. Then. Oh yeah, I would not trust myself with a firearm at no. all. <laughs> you could train me till the cows come home, but there is no way I'm going to be able to reliably shoot a firearm. <laughs> yeah, so over here, <laughs> air rifles seem to be more popular and things like that. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's and it's the national identity really and the national psyche that makes a big difference. Part of which, which, uh, and there's no avoiding this. We're, we're going to have to talk about it. Part of the national psyche comes from the speeches given by the president. Yeah. The president has taken, what are we now, three years. He has spent bashing pretty much every form of immigration that's not white or educated or legal because that's what got him elected, frankly. His first speech, he declared Mexicans were uh, bringing in drugs and crime to to the United States. Yeah. They're not sending their best is the phrase that sticks into my mind. It's like, my God. But whatever. This this language, he's taken the word infestation and invasion recently Mm -hmm. in his past few speeches in terms of how he describes migration at the southern border. Has that played a role? I mean, it seems stupid to ask, but we need to say it. Has that played a role in, I mean... I don't even need to ask. It has played a role because yes. the shooter in Ohio said that he was trying to target, or it might have been Texas actually, don't quote me on that, said he was specifically trying to target Mexicans. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't need to ask that question. And he had. Why, um, why do you think the president isn't. He, yeah. Sorry, okay. Why. It's infuriating, and I wish I knew the answer, but why won't the president take responsibility for what he's done? Because frankly, he bears some responsibility for the outcome of this shooting. And I'm not saying that he personally told the shooter in Texas or Ohio or anywhere that they should go out and kill as many immigrants as they can because he didn't, and I don't want a lawsuit. But the point is, people are listening to the president. (laughs) Yeah, right. I was going to say, we don't want shutting down. People listen to the president. He is the leader for a reason. And so people are listening to what he says, right or wrong. He's saying what they want to hear, in a sense. He but they're knows. using it to justify killing people, and yeah. he won't take responsibility for it. Um, have you seen the photos of him visiting survivors in hospital? Was this with that orphan child? Yeah, he seems to think that it's a photo shoot for him. Thumbs up, smiling. Yeah. And you look at so, it and you think, 
do you not feel any guilt? Or I'm sure he does, because to be human, you have to feel guilt in that situation. But I don't think it's that much from what he's saying and what he's from looking at him in videos and pictures. Um, and him calling Democrats the real racists in a tweet recently, I think. Bizarre. <laughs> um, but... Do you, th- do you think the fact that there's an election coming up next year has anything to do with it? That, I've not thought of that, actually. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, his, oh, I think... his, his Republican approval rating is up at about 90% consistently anyway. So he's clearly he's... got the party on side. He's going to he win thinking... the election next year. Do you think? Yeah. Um, oh, calling it early. Get that crystal ball out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's definitely going to win the election. Um because he has harnessed American descent on a scale that hasn't that I can't think of a time when it was harnessed this well. Right. Um, and he's using phrases and mottos and catchphrases that capture the feeling of I'm using um, apost- not apostrophes what are they called? I'm doing that thing with your fingers where you do the two <laughs> oh, like, quote, like speech marks, yeah. yeah that's it. Um, left behind, the left behind America. Right, yeah. He's using words to capture the feeling of people in towns like um, that one in Texas. I can't remember what it's called. El Paso then. in Texas. Um, they used to make lots of cars. Detroit, that's it. Oh, Detroit in Michigan, yeah, yeah. Um, Making America great again, this feeling of nostalgia and feeling again, it's feeling a nationalism that's more potent and more powerful than statistics, facts, truths. What are they? It's come to the point now, no matter what he says, his supporters will cheer and clap. Oh, yeah. And anything that goes against him, he's branded as fake and it's not real. Even though Trump supporters will look at video listen to audio clips of things happening, they will dismiss them and shove them out of their minds. Yeah. Because their leader, their saviour, has said that it's false. And he's given them this power that they can just say, no, that's fake, that's not real. And it's given their view, the oxygen, to come to the forefront. And it's given people permission to think things and say, especially say things that they would never have said unless Trump was in power because he has given them this power um, there's a reason that um, the KKK have advocated Trump because they've, he's given them confidence right and he's doing it knowingly there's some of the things that he says he's not a member of the KKK by a long stretch he's not this benevolent racist white supremacist figure no, no. he's someone who sees these sentiments and sees how powerful they are see, sees how useful they are and he's using them to gain power. And that, in my opinion, is nearly as bad as being a member of the KKK itself because he's knowingly doing this to his country for his own personal gain. But that's that's just my opinion. Well, we should, of course, add that at the 2016 election, Donald Trump was endorsed by the leaders of the KKK. And mm-hmm. despite his attempts to say otherwise, it, it is true. Um, he called them fine people. He did. He did. He has, a, he has a history of when things like um, right-wing nationalist 
attacks. I'm thinking Charlottesville is the best one where a white nationalist mm-hmm. and a neo-Nazi sympathizer drove his car into a group of people protesting neo-Nazis in a city in Virginia. Um, he said there was violence on both sides. Mm-hmm. He has a I history say, of saying that... Go on. I should say, he didn't, he didn't call the KKK fine people. He said that there were fine people on both sides. So, to clarify, right. he might not have meant the KKK, but still. So he, he has did, a history of saying people. that it's both sides, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. He, he can't did. just condemn the side that is bad. <laughs> Again, if he condemns um, those on the white supremacist far-right side, neo-Nazi side, then he alienates some voters. Right. Um, so he's alienating them without directly saying they're wrong, if you go on. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's treading the tightrope for um, votes. Yeah. And that's it's, what you have uh, to do if you want to win power. Indeed, power does funny things to you, doesn't it? It's uh, it's also been a week of blunders. Trump, in a speech, said uh, he got the wrong city when he said that uh, thoughts and prayers, as is the as is the standard response to mass shootings nowadays in America. No action, just thoughts and prayers. Uh, he mm-hmm. thought that the shooting was in Toledo rather than Dayton, and this went on a national primetime speech. Uh, and Joe Biden, Obama's vice president and uh, supposedly the favourite on the Democrat side for their nomination for the 2020 election, uh, thought that the shootings took place in Houston, uh, sorry, in Houston and Michigan rather than Texas and Ohio. Um, is age beginning to matter more? Because neither of those are young people. And <laughs> I, I saw somebody genuinely say, I think it was on Twitter, that we're starting to see the first signs of dementia in Joe Biden. And I'm not by any, I'm not a medical expert. I, I don't know what dementia looks like unless like somebody were to describe it to me. And I don't know Joe Biden's own health condition. But it's it's a concern, isn't it? That on, on Trump's side, these things are just glossed over because he's in charge and his, his fan base are perfectly prepared to overlook things that, don't fit with their agenda but we're talking about potentially the leader of the opposition for want of a better phrase he also isn't getting things right either and it's a bit of a worry isn't it it's probably just negligence really it's probably just not being or not bothering to remember the names of the towns or not looking properly um but it's not ideal (laughs) no it's not it's not Getting key facts about the suffering of your people wrong is right. not a good look if you want to become president of the United States. Well, that wasn't Joe Biden's only gaffe this week either. He suggested that uh, his campaign have been quick to suggest that it was a mistake. But uh, in a speech in Iowa, Joe Biden said that poor kids are just as bright as white kids. Now, if that doesn't what? stir, I- I'm not try- quite sure what he was trying to say. But that, Was it a slip of the tongue or was it actual... Well, his campaign have said that it was a slip of the tongue. Mm. But poor kids are just as bright as white kids. That That's not that's not ideal. <laughs> that's a very good phrase to sum up American society as a whole today, isn't it? It is. It is. Or should I say, not that phrase, but a politician saying that phrase, I should say. Um, yeah, you get what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Did I you suppose... see the Time, the Go on. time magazine this week? Uh, was this the one with all the names of where shootings have taken place this year? Yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. It's Time really have got a really... Simple. They're really good at nailing front covers of magazines. And I don't mean that in a jokey way. Like, they can nail, like, the key issues of the day, the week, the month in just a picture. And they're yeah. so good at it. 
what else happened this week? Uh, I suppose, okay, the, the last thing I suppose we should discuss. Can, can you tolerate a little bit more right. of this, Adam? Uh, you haven't blown your mind out yet, have you? <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. Um, so, Walmart, the company that owns Asda, um, has removed violent video games from all of its stores after the president assumed that violent video games are part of the problem uh, with mass shootings. Isn't this going back like 10 years or so? Haven't we already got I, over this? Yeah, I thought we had. The, the more important part is that uh, Walmart is continuing to stock guns and ammo. So they've removed mm-hmm. all these violent video games, but you can still go to a Walmart and buy a gun and some ammunition if you wanted to. That's uh, are we a missing the point? stupid, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was in America a couple of years ago and I went into a Walmart and the gun section was right next to the children's toys section. And that just scared the absolute life out of me. Yeah, it's just really bemusing, isn't it? Coming from a British point of view, going into a department store or a general store and seeing guns on the shelves. You could go to a Walmart, buy your groceries for the week and also pick up a pistol if you wanted to. <laughs> it's just, the mind boggles, doesn't it? <laughs> it's alien, isn't it? Yeah, but you know that is that is how it works over there. So I for the one, future, I don't see things are going to be changing. No, on the video game front, I for one, I've played a lot of violent video games, and I don't feel like shooting anybody. Um, no, oh, I'm glad to hear that. Obviously, so, <laughs> obviously, stick that disclaimer um, in there. <laughs> obviously, I'm only one case, but um, in Britain, I'll make it two. <laughs> we've had yeah, we've had hardly any mass shootings in recent years. And a lot of people are playing violent video games. Right. Obviously, our population is a lot smaller than America. But you can't, at most, violent video games worsen or a catalyst for someone's already um, violent thoughts. Right. You'd have to have some form of violent tendencies already rather than video games producing those from scratch. Exactly. You get what I mean? Yeah, I do. Um, I do. And it's about being responsible parents as well, isn't it? So if you have a kid that's seven years old, you don't want them playing Call of Duty, do you? Ideally not. I mean, that's no. why they have an age rating on them, I suppose. Yeah. So it's that idea, it's that state again, isn't it? So you don't want laws on video games because it violates personal freedoms. Um, so it's that debate again. Yeah. Um, anyway, do we have think... anything more to say about the US of A? I really don't. All I can say is I hope next week, if we do this section, that there's something happier to talk about. <laughs> yes, the same. Actually, um, let's skip to our unsung heroes of the week for this week because I have two um, cases from the shootings to mention. Um, Georgian Achondo, uh, she was a mother who sacrificed herself by shielding her newborn son in um, El Paso, I think it was. Um, and then there was also an off-duty soldier called Glendon Oakley who carried kids to safety away from the El Paso shooter. So those are the two unsung heroes for me this week. Um, it's, fun, it's funny you say that, actually, because I had also picked Glendon Oakley. I think I saw a video of him giving an interview where he was just distraught about the kids he couldn't save. And that yeah. that sums up to me what America should be. Yes. Obviously, I'm Definitely. not American. Feel free to disagree if you're listening over there. But, <laughs> you know, um, I'm glad we've agreed. I hadn't seen who your unsung heroes of the week were going to be until you just said them. So, yeah, we've agreed on that one. I think that's it very It goes fitting. to show how heroic his actions were, really, if two people... For real. Absolutely. Yep. Um, okay, right, who well, are your unsung you... heroes? Uh, he was the only one I picked this week. 
All right, um, lovely. So yeah, that, that sums that up nicely. A very neat ending. Um, but let's move on to my smaller story of the week. Uh, this section is called Meanwhile, um, and it's um, about a school in Wales, in Pentra. Um, and it was a case of a caiman skeleton being found underneath a school classroom after many, many years of rumours. Um, at least since 1961, there were rumours of a crocodile skeleton underneath the school in Wales. And on Wednesday, a Cayman skeleton was discovered during renovation works. Um, the head said that he was shocked and he didn't expect such a thing. Um, and it's currently on display, I think, and it's being debated whether it should be reburied or put on display permanently. Um, I, for one, think it should be put on display permanently. It's a very yeah. cool little story. Um, Isn't it just? Yeah. But a Cayman in Wales, how did the Cayman get there? fascinating isn't it absolutely fascinating <laughs> i really want to know how did it get underneath the school yeah what what were i, I mean see, i don't I, suppose we'll I'm, ever know if i'm right in thinking a caiman is a type of alligator crocodile isn't it yeah yeah yeah, yeah so like what were crocodiles doing in in wales unless it's <laughs> like very old where was wales <laughs> in order for it to be to like the perfect climate for alligators and crocodiles yeah unless it was millions of years ago that they died i don't but then it would be deeper underground, wouldn't it? So surely someone's put it there. Or it was a pet that escaped or something. I don't Bizarre. know. But um, did you have any rumours about your school, Jack? I'm, I'm curious. Oh, that's a good question. Um, did our school have any rumours? None that spring, none that immediately spring to mind. Well, I thought of one about my one of my old schools, and apparently it was built on a graveyard. That was the rumour that we had. <laughs> an old graveyard. Wow. Um, and uh, it scared the new kids quite a lot. Um, and it's funny how these rumours are found out somehow in the past and then spread yeah, by right. word of mouth down so many generations. Um, I think someone should do like a school rumour survey of the country. What level see of what school sort of... was that? Uh, I think it was one of my primary schools. Yeah, you see, primary school, that's that's scarring them kids for life. <laughs> yes. <yeah. laughs> They're never going to forget that, as you're proving. Uh, it was quite an odd school, so I think... It was um, this sort of like ghost haunted graveyard sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but I suppose younger kids have better imaginations. So primary schools, there's always going to be some rumour attached to their school that someone's either made up or has actually got real roots, as we found out with the Welsh school in the Cayman. Wow, um, that is very cool. But that is my small story for the week. What's yours? Well, you see, I have this ability to read a small story when it's a small story. And by the time we come round to recording the podcast, the entire world's media has picked up on it. So <laughs> the first one I saw was probably on Monday. And for reference, we're recording this on a Saturday. So I don't know if you saw this, that there was a police force in North Spain, in Almeria, who witnessed a fly tipping of a fridge down a cliff. Uh, they, they watched this guy throw a fridge over a cliff and basically told him that he had to go down the bottom of the cliff and pick it back up and drag it all the way back up to where he threw it over the side from. I hadn't seen that. Uh, and they caught this all on camera, and they released it to the public to be like, let's not, like, you know, let's not have any more flight things, otherwise we're going to come and make it all up. But, like, it's a fridge. Like, they carried a fridge back up a cliffside. I'm like, if there isn't a greater feeling of, like, A, embarrassment, but B, we're not going to do this again. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's definitely no... being outed. Wasn't on, there an ancient Greek hero that had to carry a massive boulder up a mountain and he's become like a metaphor for hard work? I can't remember oh, I what it's know. called. 
But it reminds me of that, just a bloke <laughs> carrying a massive fridge back up a mountain. And people will speak of him in thousands of years to come with a legendary, yeah, right? um, legendary fusion of justice and hard work. <laughs> Yeah, Who's found was... out that bloke's name of create a word and put it in the dictionary? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I was just watching the footage again this morning before we went before we started recording. I was like, that is that man is never going to fly tip again anywhere, even if it's in the remote most remote area of Spain. He will oh, never yeah. be fly tipping again. I bet the police officers um, high fived at least after that. <laughs> well, from what I remember, they were just like kind of leaning over the fence watching him, just kind of like arms <laughs> on sunglasses on because it was a nice day just like kind of making sure he dragged it up the cliff properly so like yep. they weren't yep. go on keep it. going go on yeah right all the good way boy. back up go on <laughs> uh, and do we have time for one, one more yes we do yeah have you heard of a, a hazel jones in wakefield i haven't no she's a little old lady who's been writing wakefield. on walls in chalk wakefield indeed She's been writing messages about how bad Brexit's going to be in chalk on walls. And nobody knew who she was until she was photographed the other day. But like when like... I say little old lady, I mean an elderly old lady. Like we're talking <laughs> with a stick kind of like walking up to church walls and writing on things like Brexit is going to be bad. Prepare for this kind of thing. I think we found out the identity of Banksy. I think I think we have. I think in a spare or at least time, Banksy's she, grandma. <laughs> she, well, I mean, it's it must be a prestigious family line anyway for talent like Banksy's. But yeah, I just thought that was great. Like this little old yeah. lady just walking around, and and she even said things like, uh, "I'm writing it on ch- I'm writing on the walls in chalk so it washes off when the rain comes." Oh, so, that's like, considerate. She's technically not even graffitiing because it's just temporary. Only an old like, lady will be that considerate. It's just so sweet, isn't it? <laughs> it is. She's like the the twin of that lady. Have you seen that lady? Who turns up in Parliament Square sometimes, burning EU flags? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She's like, she must be her twin or something, and they've got really different political views. It's a very polarized family. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I just thought that was really sweet. I do like that one. How she's just, oh, how it washes off because it's. Oh, that's yeah, great. right. I like that one. Um, but yeah, uh, moving on to oh, voice break. Uh, moving on to um, tweets of the week. Um, I've got a couple. And uh, one of them is by James Fent- James James Felton. That's his name. Um, and it- one pound is now basically equal to one euro. We finally joined the euro, and it's all thanks to Brexit. Ah, yes. Congratulations! Back I knew this was going to be it. <laughs> I saw this as well. Congratulate Farage and Gove afterwards. Um, and then another one about America by David Schneider. Um, he says, so when is Trump going to call for a total and complete shutdown of white guys moving around the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what's going on? Right. Which I think is a very good point. Yeah, it should be made clear that both of those shootings that we discussed earlier were white people, not the stereotypical idea that the Republicans would like to have that all terrorists in in the United States are either immigrants or not white because it's not so... (laughs) What can you can I hear you? Hello, hello. Yes, mate. Yeah, hello, absolutely. There Don't we go. You're back. <laughs> oh, they better have just got that. Better have recorded what I just said. Never mind. We'll we'll see. If not, then it's just for me to know. I'll say it again, <laughs> just in case. Uh, well, basically, I was just clarifying that those two shootings we discussed were committed by white people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not so that means the... that all white people are bad, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, in the same way that you know some Muslims who weren't Muslims committed 9-11 so all muslims are bad 
yeah, that's the logical step, isn't it? US logic right obviously, there in a nutshell. Obviously sarcasm, guys. Obviously sarcasm. Don't, yep. <laughs> don't angry tweet at me, please. <laughs> well, unless you're a Republican in the United States, in which case it's 100% the truth. Oh, yes. Well, not every Republican, but yeah. I, I guess. 100% <laughs> of Republicans, Adam. 100%. <laughs> Anything else is fake news. Don't, don't be giving me that. <laughs> well, Bush <laughs> clearly was a Republican and he went to war straight away. So anyway, um, off on a tangent. So those are our <laughs> tweets of the week. Um, I think we should give up with this crystal ball section for now because one, it's summer recess, and two, nobody knows, what the, nobody knows what the hell is going to happen. <laughs> oh my god, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's an excuse for me not having anything this week, but... <laughs> uh, well, likewise, so I'm glad you said that. <laughs> oh, great, okay. So, yeah. um, we shall end this week with the tweets of the week then. Um, and thank you very much Thank you ever so much for listening, everyone, and we shall see you next week. Hopefully, with Mac, by the way, who we haven't mentioned so far. He's yeah, we probably with... should have. We probably should have noted at the start that yes, Mac wasn't part have. of this podcast. Sorry, Mac. Yeah. I hope you make it to the end, Mac, and don't just quit in anger. And hope us here. <laughs> I hope you hear you uh, that he hears us with this apology. Everyone's probably wondering where's Mac this entire time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, hopefully he'll be back. He's been busy with family this um, this weekend, so he couldn't be with us. But um, actually, we fired back. him. Oh yeah, yeah, obviously, because yeah, <laughs> we couldn't have him going off and gallivanting the whole. He was here for one week and just ruined it. So Mac, you fired. Yeah, All right. <laughs> so next week there won't be Mac. <laughs> <But> <laughs> no, no, Mac. Know. It's just us two from here on. <laughs> you never know. He might um, make a return, a reckless rule-breaking return. Uh, we shall see you next week. Thank you very much for listening again, everyone, and we shall see you next week. Goodbye. See you later, guys. Bye.